This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Hour 2, Andy Strickland stops by the St. Louis Blues. Could they play kingmaker come trade deadline time? Whether it's Ryan O'Reilly, whether it's Vladimir Tarasenko, whether it's Nico Mikola, whether it's uh, Ivan Barbashev. These types of players could, uh, we suspect, all be had come trade deadline time of March 3rd. Uh, we shall see what happens with the Blues, who, as the days go on, and tonight they'll face off against the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, their playoff odds continue to get worse and worse. Meanwhile, uh, flip side of that cone, the Carolina Coin, the Carolina Hurricanes continue to pile up wins uh, in oftentimes spectacular fashion. See their most recent victory over the Boston Bruins. Corey Lavalette joins me once again from North Star Journal and the Athletic to talk about things. Corey, how are you today? Thanks for doing this. I'm doing well, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I'm good. So uh, I, I think before we get to the actual team itself, uh, I want to ask you about the philosophy of the general manager and the philosophy of the owner. So we're talking about Don Waddell and Tom Dundon. So the Carolina Hurricanes have always been reluctant to play to pay significant prices for rental players. Uh, they'll pay prices for players with term, but as we all know, Tom Dundon, you know, has an assigned value for everybody in his organization, either established people or newcomers, and he's not going to go a nickel over. So when you look at the Hurricanes right now, and there's a glaring need for a second line center, do you think they bend that idea or that philosophy to accommodate for someone maybe like Bo Horvat? Or would it have to come with a contract extension? Essentially, your thoughts on what Carolina does come trade deadline time here, Corey? You know, Jeff, I actually think it goes the other way, which is you have to consider two things here when you think about the Hurricanes front office. One, the point you made is they don't like overspending on rentals. Uh, it's not in their DNA. I don't think they'll do it again. You know, they, they waited out. And I know Max Domi wasn't some big get at the deadline last year. But they even waited out Columbus on him to get uh, to get him at the at the price they thought was appropriate. And then when you mention a guy like Bo Horvat, who you could resign, the other side of this is the Hurricanes don't like signing 28, 27-year-old players to seven and eight-year deals. It's it's not what they do. I mean, we look at Michael Furland being, you know, letting him walk away. You know, Dougie Hamilton obviously is a is a good one. Vincent Trocheck. You know, they could have, they, they tried to keep Vincent Trocek, but they weren't going to do it on a high dollar long term deal. Now, there was a long term offer out there, but it was, you know, lower than what the Rangers did. Uh, so to me, that there's a two pronged aspect to this is that those guys just don't fit the two major philosophies that Don Waddell and his staff have in team building. So to me, you know, you look at, and I, and I mentioned this in passing, and then Charlie O'Connor, uh, who writes, who covers the, the Flyers for the Athletic, said he mentioned it the next day or the two days after, like a guy like Travis Konechny to me. You know, you, you mentioned the center, but, um, you know, a guy like that with term, who's young, uh, who's not overly mm-hmm. expensive, you might have to give up, you know, assets for him, but that's a target I could see them going after. If it's going to be a rental, it's, you know, you mentioned Barbashev, and it's, it's probably thinking more a guy like that. Or, you know, if the price on Ryan O'Reilly isn't too high, then you could see a, a move like that. But um, to me, it's mm-hmm. tough to see Bo Horvat, you know, ending up here. How much of this uh, philosophy do you think is fueled by Eric Tulski? Um, I think casual fans got to know him at least a little bit um, because he was one of the finalists for the Chicago Blackhawks uh, general manager job, um, you know, long time behind the scenes, assistant general manager, uh, direct pipeline to the coaching staff, even going back to the Bill Peters days, um, you know, his... Uh, his acumen with numbers is well told, and it seems as if this is a very data-driven team. How much of this philosophy you mentioned, whether it's Trocheck or, or Hamilton or even being skeptical of someone like Bo Horvat coming in, how much of that is fueled from Tulski's office? For sure. I, I think you're, you're spot on. I think the way he thinks and the way, like you mentioned, how Tom Dundon thinks of we're going to uh, assign a value to somebody. Well, who better to assign a value to a player 
than a guy who, and, you know, I, we get into the data and talk about, you know, oh, well, he's great with numbers and all that. He's a smart hockey mind, too. He's not specifically just, you know, focused in only on what shows up on a spreadsheet. So, yeah, I agree totally. I think, you know, he and Tom are a, a great combination in that sense. And then Don Waddell is a guy who has so much, you know, experience around the league. Everybody knows Don. And that, mm-hmm. you know, everything that comes together there with the whole staff really makes for uh, a situation that a lot of people thought was crazy when they started. And now you see more and more teams going in this direction because it works so well when you have data and you have, uh, you know, the money, the guy with the money, and then you have, uh, you know, scouts too, who are looking at this and saying this, you know, a guy like Brady Shea didn't blow the doors off uh, analytically when they acquired him, but scouts said this guy's got all the tools and look at where we are now. The Hurricanes, you could say, arguably have uh, have, <laughs> have four number one defense in the way they're playing this year. Who, who's been through all of it, and not just defensemen, but forwards, net minors as well? Uh, who's been the unsung hero on this team? I mean, generally that conversation has revolved around Jacob Slavin, but there's only so many times you can talk about how Jacob Slavin is underrated, and then he doesn't become underrated anymore because we've talked. The, the, it's the old Louis Erickson Dallas Stars uh, situation where we'd always say Louis Erickson's the most underrated player in the NHL. You say it after a few years, it loses all of its meaning. I kind of feel that way about Jacob Slavin. So having used that as a preamble, Corey, who is the, uh, the unsung player on this team now? Well, I mean, you know, we could look at any of those defensemen who, who play a lot of minutes. It's weird to say that your captain is your underappreciated, underrated player, but, uh, Jordan Stahl last night, all I could think of is that if and there were there were plenty of Bruins fans in the building last night, if you came to see your favorite player, you know, Patrice Bergeron or Brad Marchand in in the Hurricanes yeah. building when Jordan Stahl's going to check them all night, <laughs> you're not going to have a fun night. Yeah. Um, he's just, uh, to me, he really stirs the drink for everything they do. We saw it in the playoffs last year, how they were as a team at home. Uh, when Rod Brindamore can just tether him to uh, to top players. And I look at a team like Boston, and they've had an amazing year. You don't want to discount anything they've done. But is there enough depth there when a guy like Jordan Stahl can erase a line? I mean, he erased that line last night with, with his line mates, and obviously the defense helped too. But they played without Jacob Slavin last night and did what they did. So to me, he's still the guy that gets overlooked a lot of times. You know, it is, it is kind of nice, though, having someone like Jalen Chatfield just being able to slide into to different spots. So, like, there is there is that luxury for the Hurricanes here, right? Yeah, you know, I, we uh, when the Sharks were in town, I saw Ryan Warsawski, who's the assistant there now, but he was the Chicago Wolves coach last season when they won the Calder Cup, and he described Jalen Chatfield as a Ferrari. He just said that the kid's yeah. got an endless motor. Uh, you know that Rod Brindamore loves these guys who have, scratched and clawed their way to the NHL, whether it's a guy like Chatfield who didn't get drafted or even a guy like Stephen Mason, who was, you know, a first round pick who never really, you know, found a home in the NHL. And now all of a sudden, uh, you know, he's a really important piece. Six power play goals. There's nothing to, to blink at. Uh, you know, they love yeah. these guys that are, uh, they, they give their all all the time. Hey, let me, let me rewind there to Jordan Stahl for a second, because I'm with you. Like he's, uh, yeah, I, again, we we're so familiar with the 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 stall name in the NHL for for so long now. It, it kind of gets blurred, but he's still playing some great hockey. Uh, I know he's on the expiring contract. He is one of those players that you can't see. Although he didn't start with Carolina, started with Pittsburgh. You really can't see in another uniform like this extension. Eventually, gets done right. Like Jordan Stahl is going to stay a Hurricane, isn't he? Yeah, as long as Jordan wants to continue playing and all signs point to him, you know, wanting to do that, uh, he's going to stay here. I don't think there's any doubt. What's amazing is that I think, you know, you sign a guy to a 10-year, $60 million contract and he never really scores 20 goals ever and everyone probably thinks he's overpaid and they're going to probably get to pay him less next year for just how how essential he is. I mean, Rod Moore loves the guy and you can see why and 
to me, uh, the way he shrugged off David Pasternak last night on the uh, on the shorthanded empty net goal at the end, it's just that's a pretty good illustration of what he does on the ice every night. He's just a bull, an absolute bull out there. You know, for the um, for for the longest time, because uh, I'm sort of fascinated with things like this. For the longest time, I've always said, I think that Sammy Kapanen is the fastest Carolina Hurricanes player ever. And I've always stuck to that until Martin Natchez arrived. Is he the fastest Kane you've ever seen? I think we talked about this the last time I was on with you, which is that Marty and I talked about that it would be great if he made the All-Star game to to take a crack at McDavid. And uh, McDavid's not running in it and uh, or, or skating in it, yeah. and uh, and Marty's not, not going for some reason. Um yeah, I mean, absolutely. What an electric, and not just a fast skater, but uh, so dynamic. Ability to, to change lanes and, and you know, slow down and speed up. He, in the San Jose game, he, he stopped and blew a guy's ankles out. Just um, everything about him. He's just absolutely ultra-skilled. And somebody asked Rod Brindamore about his season the other night. It was after the San Jose game when they had that amazing comeback and, and ended up winning. he ended up winning it in overtime. And they said, well, are you surprised about this year? And he's like, I was surprised about last year. He said, I, anything that's happening this year is, is everything we knew he was. It was last year where he, he had trouble that he was surprised. Uh, and, you know, mm-hmm. what a dynamic player to watch and just, uh, uh, you know, uh, really becoming a star in this league. And maybe, maybe he's the guy that's, that's not talked about enough around the whole league. <laughs> there's a few right like i mean i don't i i know every time i talk to elliot he's always going on about sebastian aho um but there are like there's a few players on this team and i i do wonder about the um give me the the snapshot of the local market here like who are the players that hurricanes fans have gravitated towards the most uh, i think it's definitely andre svechnikov uh and sebastian aho are the two guys that uh that jump off, you know, jump off the page. Obviously, uh, Andre's a uh, he's kind of a, a big teddy bear. You know, he's he's got a great smile. He's a uh, he plays hard. He plays physical, which we don't see a whole lot of in the NHL anymore. Uh, and has done some dynamic things in his career. And then Sebastian Ajo is probably playing the best he's played in his entire career right now. Just uh, had a little injury. We, we think a foot injury. Not totally sure, but. Missed some time, came back, was you know, admitted he was a little bit off and now uh seven goals in the last in the last four games is something else. And uh, you know, the fans love him and he's a he, it took it took Rod Brendamore a little bit of time to buy into Sebastian Ajo as a center because he's not the biggest guy, but uh he's got no doubts now. I mean the guy plays uh he plays like a six three player and uh just he's been he has been electric. He set the tone of the game last night stealing that puck from Pasternak and, and finishing the breakaway and just been really, really good. You know, he's kind of changing it. I mean, uh, players like him um, and, you know, Jack Hughes comes along much later. We would all, we would always been led to believe that, and I can understand, I get where it comes from, um, that centers have to be, you know, minimum six foot two in the NHL. Um, you have to, you know, you can't win unless you have size down the middle. You know, you win the Stanley Cup down the middle of the ice, and unless you have size there, it's not going to happen. Guys like Aho, guys like Hughes, I guess he can maybe make the argument too, maybe Sidney Crosby as well. Like the idea that you need size in that spot, it's kind of going out the window. Like I, I don't know if you can have, you know, four centers that are six foot or under, but you still can have one, and maybe in New Jersey's case, you can have two. But do you have a thought on smaller centers in the NHL using Sebastian Ajo as a touch point? Yeah, I mean, it's a whole new league, right? I mean, look at guys like Braden Point. I just, uh, you know, he's not a big guy, and he gets yeah. to the front of the net. Even that, that Hurricanes top line right now, since Max Pacioretty was, you know, unfortunately hurt again, right now it's Tavo Teravainen, it's Sebastian Ajo, and it's Seth Jarvis. Now, that's, you know, not exactly a a, a bunch of gigantic guys, but um, Ajo, you know, Ajo and Jarvis both play bigger than they are. And Teravainen, you know, I'm sure you've watched enough of him to know he's one of the craftier players in the league and yeah. great defensively and, 
Um, I, you know, it's important. I mean, if Sebastian Ajo were the size of Alexander Barkov, is he an MVP candidate? Probably. Um, but, mm. you know, still, at the same time, he's still a dominant player and was, was really the, the best player on the ice last night, uh, you know, with a lot of really good players on the ice. Um, with that, we'll let you go. The Carolina Hurricanes uh, next face off against the Los Angeles Kings on Tuesday. And then, you know, unfortunately for them, they got to squeeze a couple of games here before they get their break. Some teams are, you know, players are already you know made their travel plans and are, and are elsewhere. Carolina Hurricanes also play Wednesday against the Buffalo Sabres. So still a couple of games for the Hurricanes before the All-Star break. And, uh, Corey, good to have you documenting all of it. Thanks, as always, for stopping by, pal. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. There he is, Corey Lavalette, who covers the Carolina Hurricanes for North Star Journal and The Athletic. Um, that will be interesting to see what they do come deadline time. And I do wonder about the center position. And we do wonder about the prices. And we do wonder about the age. Uh, and we do wonder about things like extensions, uh, if you bring in someone like Bo Horvat. One of the more intriguing teams. It's funny, too, because you know at various times we've said... You know, they're going to lose players that they're going to need because of and Dougie Hamilton was the obvious one, and the New Jersey Devils have been the uh, the, the beneficiary of it. Um, but they have their ideas. They have their philosophies, and they... Listen, we saw this play out with Rod Brindamore, right? There was going to be a number for Rod Brindamore, and they were not going to budge. He could have got more from the New York Rangers, clearly could have got more from other teams. Wanted to be there. That was his number. Dundon wasn't going to budge on it, so he did what he could do, and that was he made sure that everybody around him was still going to be there and that they were getting paid instead of him sticking all the money in his jeans. Anyway, Carolina's good right now, folks. Uh, Shocking. Still two more games to go for them before the All-Star break. Jonathan Davis coming up in a couple of moments here. Andy Strickland, but next, the random player of the day nominated today by Checks Notes, Ken Reed. Sportsnet Central. Stay tuned. Hour two's coming. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptors Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. 32 Thoughts presented by GMC and the new Sierra AT4X. Jeff Merrick, Elliot Friedman, and Jeff, this is like your radio show this week when you oh, explained yeah? that Terry Harper was the man responsible for no longer everybody in the penalty box together, right? And Bob Pulford, yeah. 1963, yeah. fight at Maple Leaf Gardens. A week later, Maple Leaf Gardens separated and the forum was second. So, Elliot, you're you're at the far end now to keep you from uh, scrapping <laughs> here with your partner. Uh, nice to see you. You're uh, splendidly dressed for a home report. Normally, and Tim and friends are like in the witness protection program, but uh, you first on the <laughs> NHLPA. Uh, there we go. That was nice. Thanks, Ron McLean, for the plug. Um, and the promo, we should probably exploit that as much as we can, Matt Marchese, for the random player of the day. So that was Friday's, Maddie, and that was Terry Harper. So true to form. And as I've mentioned, one of the reasons why I love doing this feature on the program is people will either DM, yes, I keep them open, or text or tweet at me various stories uh, or comments about the person that we have as the random player. And again, if you want to nominate one, go for it. JM Show at sportsnet.ca is the email address to use. I'll send that out on Twitter probably later on today or tomorrow as well. So in that spirit, uh, I got a couple. From Terry Harper, we're going to get to today's in a couple of seconds here, Maddie. Oh, by the way, how are you, Maddie? Good to talk to you again. I'm good, Jeffrey. I'm good. Uh, yeah, looking forward to these on Terry Harper. Okay, so a couple. So one, uh, right away, uh, Mackenzie Boardman DM me a couple hours after we went off the air on Friday and said, Terry Harper is still skating and playing weekly in Roseville, California, just outside Sacramento, Fun random player of the day today. Excited to hear more follow-up info on Monday. Okay, so here's some follow-up info. And I get this yesterday morning at 10 o'clock. This is from Frank Saravalli at Daily Faceoff. He says, it's wild that you mentioned Terry Harper last night in 32 Thoughts. This was the Hockey Night edition that Ron brought up on Saturday on uh, Sportsnet and CBC. 
while the, you mentioned Terry Harper last night in 32 Thoughts, I'm in Jasper, Alberta to MC a pond hockey tournament, and I literally just played a shinny game against Terry yesterday. He turned 83 two days ago. Still moves great. Terry Harper, 83 years old, still out there doing it and playing pond hockey tournaments in Jasper. That note from Frank Saravelli. What do you think of that one, Matt? That's awesome. You going to be playing when you're 83? Are you going to be 83 one day? No, no, hell no, Jeff. That's what I said. I had this conversation (laughs) yesterday. I was like, if I get there, I'd be very fortunate. (laughs) That's awesome. Anyway, that's a quick couple of follow-up notes there. Thanks to uh, to Frank for to, for texting that one to me, and also to Mackenzie Boardman, uh, Terry Harper. Little thoughts there. Terry's still playing and going strong. And as I mentioned, just a marvelous backwards skater as well. Tough as nails. Took on all comers. Like didn't win them all, folks. But Terry Harper very much took on all comers. Great to see that he's uh, still on the ice and and still playing and various rec leagues and also in outdoor pond hockey tournaments too. So very cool. Okay. Who do we have today, Maddie? All right. So as you mentioned, it was sent in by our friend Ken Reed and you knew this was going to have a maritime flavor to yeah. it. Uh, it is the Sydney, totally. Nova Scotia native, Paul Boudelier. All right, Paul Boudelier. So uh, in St. John with the Sea Dogs, where he's been working off and on, I know there's a brief spell where he went to the Belleville Senators. Um, they call him the defense whisperer or the defense savant. I'll, I'll get to that in a couple of seconds. But um, here's the bio. His, uh, his dad, Ernie, uh, who was the president of Sydney Steel Corporation, I believe coached him all the way up, right up until minor midget, where he went and played in the QMJHL was a first-round pick of the New York Islanders in 1981, played one game in the 81-82 season, didn't play in the playoffs, two games in 82-83 playoffs, but none against the Edmonton Oilers, who the Islanders faced off against in the final. Scary moment in his career, and I'm always stunned, Matty, this doesn't happen more often and hasn't happened more often in hockey. Anders Keller at a New York Islanders practice took a shot once and caught him in the face Opened him up for 66 stitches. Again, I am still endlessly fascinated and horrified at the thought of it that this doesn't happen more often. Nonetheless, uh, Boudelier got nailed in the face. Uh, he was called Tree Trunk or Tree Trunks. That was always his nickname because Paul Boudelier had enormous thighs. Like, I remember the first time I went in the Pittsburgh Penguins dressing room. It would have been a Penguins-Habs game. I was doing ringside for Hockey Night in Canada. And the first thing you can't help but notice is Sidney Crosby's legs and how huge they are. The only other time that I ever really went, like, really noticed, well, there were two. One was at a Team Canada Hockey, uh, Hockey Canada Team Orientation Camp in Calgary. I remember sitting next to Marty St. Louis, and it was me, Kiprios, and McLean, and St. Louis sat next to us, and all he had was like a dry fit shirt and shorts. And I remember like his legs were just massive. And I remember thinking to myself, am I the same species as Martin St. Louis? Because I didn't know legs could get that big. And then the other was, I remember when Elliot and I were in Chicago for the NHL Players Tour, the NHL Players Association at the time, so this would have been early September, were having a meeting, and Elliot and I bumped into Tori Krug on the street, and he was just wearing shorts and a, and, a, and a T-shirt. And I remember thinking to myself, those are the biggest calves outside of a bike career that I think I've, I've ever seen in my life. So those are the, 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 uh, the huge legs stories uh, that I have for you. Although, I got to get the player's name. I don't want to get it wrong. There was one NHL, or this would make for a great story, who was like a total, like a total body guy. Every part of his body was perfect and looked great and toned and really spent a lot of time in the gym making himself look like a Ken doll, except he couldn't get calves. Like, I'm the same way. I can do as many calf raises as possible. I'm never getting calves. And I guess he was just genetically the same way and showed up in an NHL dressing room one morning with these like, these cantaloupes in his calves. And all the guys like, where did this come from? Where do you think, Maddie? Calf implants. Yes, indeed, it very much is a thing. I'm going to try to figure out who that player was and see if I can get the green light to share that one. Anyway, uh, Tree Trunk was his nickname. 
I'm, uh, I'm, I'm detouring here for Paul Boudelier. Tree trunk was uh, because of his massive thighs. And the one thing about uh, Paul Boudelier's career, and again, it was like uh, 200 plus games in the National Hockey League with various teams. He played on a really important junior team for Canada. Uh, the beginning of the program of excellence, 1982, uh, Team Canada Juniors, uh, the first team to win gold in this country at the World Juniors. That was a team with Mark Habscheid, uh, Mike and Randy Moeller, uh, James Patrick, Troy Murray, Gord Kluzak, who was incredible in that tournament, as was Mike Moffat, the netminder, Scott O'Neill uh, would have been in that one. The U.S. team was stacked. It was Chris Chelios and Phil Housley and John Van Beesbrook. They didn't end up doing anything. Um, the Finns surprised. Petri Skriko was amazing in that tournament. Um, they believed, the organizers did, that uh, Czechoslovakia was going to win the tournament. So that was the only anthem I think that they had for the tournament, and that was the one. And I'm sure, Maddie, you've seen the highlights before of all the Canadian players on the blue line all singing the national anthem at the end of the uh, at, at the end of the championship game uh, because they didn't bring along O Canada. Uh, also, cut from that team, the 82 junior squad. This is how good the team was. Cut from that team was Brian Bellows. Mind you, he did have an injury, so you understand that. But also cut from that team, Maddie. Al McInnes, Hall of Famer, one of maybe, maybe if not the hardest shot in the history of the NHL, Al McInnes. Paul Boudelito played 288 games in the NHL with the Islanders, the Bruins, the North Stars, the Rangers, and the Winnipeg Jets in Moncton. Um, Rick Bonus was his coach when he went down to the American Hockey League. Um, he had a really hard shot, uh, Boudelier did. Um, and after his career was wrapped up, he moved back to Nova Scotia and became a professional curler. So he went from elite, elite hockey player to an elite, elite curler as well. And uh, he's, as I mentioned, considered the defense whisperer. And he's worked with teams like the Nashville Predators. I know he worked for Nashville when Weber and Suter were there. I think there's some other NHL teams that he's he's worked with as well. But in St. John... He um, he treats the defensemen that he works with as if they're their own separate fraternity and separate group. He's always giving them books and recommending, you know, audiobooks for them to listen to and podcasts. First of all, he's a great talker, great texter as well. Stays on top of, of all the kids. And one of the things that Boudelier does with a lot of the junior kids is when he does video, what he does is he'll show where one of the kids from his team, 17, 18, 19, whatever years old, makes a mistake. And then he'll also show them someone in the NHL making the exact same mistake, saying like, look, this isn't just you. Like pro players make these types of mistakes as well. But he does have a saying and a belief um, that in the NHL, if you're an NHL player, you're allowed to make, as any sorry, NHL defenseman, you're allowed to make six mistakes a week. If you're a player in the American Hockey League, you're allowed to make nine mistakes a week. And that, he says, is sort of his litmus test for when a player is ready for either the NHL or the AHL. He counts mistakes. And if it's nine or under, he'll say, okay, you're ready for the NH or the uh, American Hockey League. If it's nine or over, you're not ready for the American Hockey League. If it's six or under per week, you're ready for the NHL. And here's a guy that, you know, helped prepare both Thomas Shabbat and Jacob Zborl for the, uh, the, uh, the NHL. Uh, he's worked with players like Noah Dobson, uh, currently starring with uh, the New York Islanders. So done a great job with a lot of really good young defensemen that are graduating to the National Hockey League and having an impact. And thank you, Ken Reed, for this one because calling people to talk about Paul Boudelier has been fascinating and a lot of fun over the past couple of days. And that's our random player of the day, defenseman Paul Boudelier. By the way, he also played... Uh, with Kelly Rudy, with uh, the Checkers and the Islanders at uh, at different times. So that's what I got on Paul Boudelier, Matty. That was a lot. Um, <clears throat> I didn't think we were going to get there, but he sounds like a really <laughs> a really influential guy, which I, I didn't I didn't know yeah. about. Um, and what I did learn about yeah, him was time. that he also he also used to attend McGill University during the off season. So he's a smart guy too. Yep. 
and I believe he taught. Mm, I don't know which university he taught at. But I think one of the uh, one of the maritime universities uh, he taught at as well. Really smart guy, wonderful communicator, and the defense whisperer, uh, according to the St. John Sea Dogs. Okay, so there's our random player of the day. Thank you, Ken Reed, for sending that one in. If anyone has any follow-up stories on Paul Boudelier or wants to nominate someone new for the uh, random player of the day, JM Show at sportsnet.ca is the email address. Maddie, thanks, and Ken Reed, thank you. Coming up, bottom of the hour, Andy Strickland from the Cam and Strick podcast, Blues Ringside Reporter. In the meantime, uh, my good buddy JD, Jonathan Davis from NHL Network Radio and host of Show Me the Money Hockey Betting Podcast. I love it. He is JD, Jonathan Davis. He joins me now. JD, how are you, pal? I'm doing great. You know, Paul Boudelier also worked at a Holiday Inn. And, Jeff, I took a shower well in advance of this interview. <laughs> okay, so you're scrubbing yourself clean, too, just like Elliot did in yeah. hour one. I appreciate that. I, you know, I, yeah. cleanliness is next to godliness, so I, I always appreciate yeah. that, J.D. And uh, I do appreciate that you're on the West Coast and, and getting up a little bit early here to do this and making yourself available. And the one thing I want to jump in with right away is who are the Los Angeles Kings. Let's start there. Third in the Pacific, tied with Vegas in points. A couple of points ahead of the Oilers. They are one of the more interesting teams, safe to say. Like I, I think a lot of us have married them to Jacob Chikrin of the Arizona Coyotes. You know, they've been attached to various other players in trade rumors all season long. Let me just start the conversation like this. Who are the Los Angeles Kings? Yeah, that's a, you know what? I, I don't know. I, I really don't. I, Jeff, you know, every time you think you figure them out, you, 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 you know, then you're not really sure again. Uh, look, they, they do a really good job. I, I think that they're just consistently inconsistent, but they're, they're more consistent than, than a lot of the other teams in the division, and that's why they find themselves where they are. But, you know, they, they, they've really benefited, I think, from the fact that um, they – I don't know. You look at the Phoenix Copley situation, and, you know, his numbers are great, Jeff, but, you know, Phoenix Copley mm-hmm. really hasn't had to be a star in most of these games. And I think, you know, they've done a really good job at, at protecting him. Look, they've got, they, they've got, they're, they're going to have a year this year where, where I think they're going to have like six 20 goal scores. That's, it's been quite some time since this team has had six 20 goal scores. But they still have a lot of the same questions. They, you know, the goaltending situation is a question. They, they've got 9,000 right-shot defensemen, and they need a left-shot defenseman. They have no cap room. That's the big problem. They've got $135,000 in cap space. So we talk about mm-hmm. these deals that they're going to make, I, I, and I just don't know. Like, in a wide-open Western Conference, they've got as good a shot as anybody. But I just don't know. I, I would call them a strong playoff contender, but not a strong cup contender. So, so here's the thing, though. Like, I, I still do expect Rob Blake to do something. But as you point out, if money's yep. coming in, money has to be going out as well. Um, and I think yep. we look at, you know, what, at, at least at least one of these defensemen. And the moment I think I have a handle on who they want to move out, it changes. <laughs> and I hear something Not else. I talk to someone I think else there's one like, guy. You know, it's there's one guy. Who's your guy? Matt Roy. That's the guy you have to move. He's a right shot guy. He makes three point one five. That's the guy that they have to move out uh, because then you can get the left handed version of Matt Roy. Ultimately, so yeah. for me, when you take a look at dollar in, dollar out, because Sean Walker is another guy that I think you know they don't need Sean Walker, but I, there's not. I don't right now. Don't think of the market value for Sean Walker. I think that Matt Roy, mm-hmm. who's not having as good a season as last, that's the guy for me that, that would be the first guy that you would have to move. One of the issues with that, though, considering where the cap is at, like how much does that second year mm-hmm. of 3.1 factor into all of it? Like you're going to be trading him out to a, and may, listen, maybe it's a team like the Arizona Coyotes and like you got plenty of cap space and you don't worry about it. You just take it and, and, and move along. But how much does that second year factor into any Matt Roy deal? Well, it, it may, but if it does, then they're not going to be able to make a deal because, like, I, I don't see them wanting to move one of their forwards during the season. Like, you know, you've got when Trevor Moore gets healthy, Trevor Moore and Alex Iafalo to me are, are pretty much the same player. 
But I think both those guys in that room play integral parts. So I don't think you want to disrupt anything with this team. You know, the other issue is, and, and this is the one that, that, that gets kind of dicey, is that, you know, if Jonathan Quick wasn't who he is and was, you know, I mean, look, you, you would move him out. You would, you would release him. You would put him on waivers. You'd do something. They're not doing that to Jonathan Quick and that, you know, that's a $5.8 million cap hit. You know, that, that's, that's another thing that's killing them, along with Cal Peterson, who hasn't left Ontario since he got sent down, and that's, you know, it's another $3 million. So, you know, there's, they're in a situation where, where Jeff, I think they're, they're very limited. If you want to take it, like, for me, I still think they, they need to fix the goalie situation. Like, I think a guy like James Reimer, if you want something on a short-term fix, would be really good for this team. Um, but it's how do you bring him in? And that, that's, that's the problem that this team faces in trying to add anything of significance at the deadline because they just don't have the space. Uh, audit on Kevin Fiala so far this season. This was the big ticket purchase in the off season. You know, we all know about the the season previous and, you know, Kopitar and Dowdy saying that's it with the rebuild. Fiala was a huge, huge swing for them. Audit so far on Fiala. Well, from a standpoint of what he's brought, what he's meant, look, he's been fantastic. There, there's no other way to describe it. But I, you know, as one person had suggested to me, I mean, they didn't need Kevin Fiala. Like, Kevin Fiala is, is a bonus. This team needed, you know, Rob Blake said in the offseason, he had told people, I need a left-shot D. That's what this team needed. But, you know, Jeff, they just don't trust their prospects here in L.A. Like, if you had given some of these younger kids a shot, like, then you could have added the left-shot D, and then you wouldn't have to be searching for one now. And at the end of the day, mm-hmm. you know, at least where they are in the standings, Jeff, they're really not much different than where they were last year. So, well, Fiala is kind of like, you know, uh, it's that nice new shiny toy that, hey, we want to just kind of buy and, and bring in. That's great. But it's not what they needed, despite the fact that he's done everything and more and is leading the team in scoring. Did, did you not think, though, that as, as much as Rob Blake said he wanted and needed uh, another defenseman, specifically on the left side, they also needed more goals? And that I know they tried really, to address it the summer previous, but they need someone that can score, period? Well, yeah, but okay, there's still a minus three goal differential. And now maybe that, that's not all on Kevin Fiala. Mm-hmm. You know, they, got, they had really bad goaltending early on. Uh, Cal, you know, what's happened with Cal Peterson this year has really, you know, has hurt this team immensely. But yeah, they maybe. I, I just don't, you know. You you keep hearing from from Todd McClellan like they're not really sure. You know, we don't want, we can't be a run and gun team. He talks about that, but they try to yep. be a run and gun team. I mean, you know, I, I think there's there seems to be a bit of a disconnect in I I believe in what. I think management wants what the coaching staff wants and what maybe what the scouts believe that this team needs. I think there is a bit of a disconnect. Uh, uh, like I said, Fiala has been great, you know, but that's not really what this team needed as much as, as good as he's been. They, they needed to address different issues first before going after Kevin Fiala. And I still think that if Arthur Kaliev was given a legitimate shot, you know, uh, I think that he, he maybe he wouldn't. May, you know, look, Arthur Kelly still leads his team in power play goals, and he's missed what you know the last ten games. Yeah, he's uh, well. Listen, there's no denying about Kelly. I've get the get the puck on his stick, and it's going in. You know, the other the other player that I wonder about here, and listen, when they sent Quinton Byfield down to the American Hockey League, he did exactly what you wanted him to do, and that is rip it up and force his way back up. Uh, it took a little longer than most people thought it might, but he got back there. Um, where's the organization at with Quentin Byfield right now? And where are you at with Quentin Byfield right now? Um, I still think it's a project. I, I think that, you know, look, Quentin Byfield was drafted ultimately to replace Anze Kopitar. He's not that player. He's a good player, but he's not that player. He's, he's found more success on the wing. And that's, and, and look, and there's no, there's no shame in that. I mean, he's still a, He's still a young kid and still learning the game. But, you know, Byfield numbers-wise, you know, he put up good numbers down in Ontario. No, no, no question about it. But, Jeff, 
I, I think that there's still parts of his game, and I think that there's a uh, a nastiness that they I think that they wish they had with Byfield. That's just I just don't believe that that's the type of player he is. So, you know, uh, I, I think the jury's still out at what Quentin Byfield is as a center because look. When Anze Kopitar is done or, you know, look, he's still got, what, two years left on his deal. Um, you know, I don't know if Quentin Byfield is going to be ready to slot in as number one. I, I still felt, and look, and this is not revisionist history, I still felt that the guy that, that the Ottawa Senators got was the guy that the L.A. Kings should have had. I think that would have been a better player. And I still say that if Tim Stutzler was wearing a, a, a Canada jersey, he would have been drafted ahead of Byfield. Controversial, JD. Controversial. Uh, l- l- let's get off the page. Let's get off that page. Let me um, okay. l- let me ask you about Vegas. Uh, I asked you about yeah. who the Los Angeles Kings are. I think the Vegas Golden Knights are asking themselves the exact same question, and I'll even personalize it a little bit more. Who is Jack Eichel at this point? We've seen a lot of different versions of Jack Eichel so far. How concerned are you about Eichel and the Vegas Golden Knights? Yeah, I think that, you know, uh, there's definitely concern. I mean, you know, it's it's two goals in the last 12, nothing, no no goals in the last eight. Maybe the all-star break is just what he needs and what the Golden Knights need. But there's definitely been, this is a team that has struggled mightily on offense. When you go back to that loss to the Islanders in overtime, the 2-1 loss, and that's the ninth time this season and, and the fifth in the last 10 games, Jeff, that they scored one or less goals. Uh, they are struggling yeah. to score. Uh you know, Phil Kessel has not worked out. You know, I don't think anyone expected Phil to score 30, but, you know, look, Phil's found times where he's been parked on the bench. He's got that no-move clause. I mean, it's been, it's been a struggle. There, there is not enough offense. They've, they've relied so much on the misfit line that's played really well. Um, so, yeah, I, look, maybe this is a, a little rest and reset. I, I have to believe, you know, when we'll get more clarity. Bruce Cassidy said that, you know, we should have more clarity after the all-star break on Mark Stone's health. Um, so if he's not able to go, well, you know Kelly McCrimmon's going to make a deal. Um, yeah, I mean, if you look, I, I went back and took a look at the numbers. I mean, they were 17-7-1, Jeff, on December 1st. They're 12-11-3 since then. So, yeah, there is concern. They've lost 8 of 10. It's uh, it's a conundrum. Meanwhile, um, the Seattle Kraken uh, continued to impress. Um, they are, do we call them the new Vegas Golden Knights? The Seattle Kraken, are we there now? Is uh, Seattle the new hotness that Vegas used to be? Well, hot, but yeah, I, look, what, what's, you know, like Vegas, I mean, the depth of this Kraken team is what makes them so effective. Uh, you know, they've, they've got, they're tied with, they've got eight players that have double digits in goals, and that's only Boston and St. Louis uh, can match that in the NHL. The one thing that Vegas is struggling for is they just don't have that one guy. I mean, Andre Burakovsky leads this team in points with 39, but that's 88 in the NHL. They, I think we all believe that, that Ron Francis is going to do something. I keep hearing Bo Horvat's name attached yeah. to the Seattle Kraken. I mean, look, they're scoring goals. They're second in, in the Pacific in goals for and they're second in, in, in goals again. So they're doing a lot of things right. Um, but they could still use a game-breaker. Mm-hmm. You wonder if it's Horvat or if it's uh, Mystery Door number 2. Want to fly through a couple of more teams yeah. here on the, uh, 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 on, on the coast. Um, the San Jose Sharks. Uh, Timo Meyer, uh, maybe Eric Carlson. Man, that's a tough trade to make. Sure. Um what are your Spidey senses telling you about Mike Greer, the San Jose Sharks, and what situations we could see come March 3rd? I, I think we all fully expect Timo Meyer to be somewhere else. You know, I keep wondering about the Maple Leafs, but we'll see. Um, yeah. Man, Eric Carlson, desirable commodity, but is that contract – is anybody going to be able to – even if San Jose eats a little bit of it, is anyone going to be able to absorb that contract at this time? This time or beyond, it becomes very tricky. And even in the Meyer case, I mean, you've got what a ten million dollar qualifying offer that you know that that lies ahead of you. So, you know, unless you're able to negotiate a lo- you know a longer term deal, and I heard you and Elliot have talked about 
you know, the fact that yeah, I think if we get to the point where, where we get closer to a trade that, you know, that the Sharks may be open to discussions. But, yeah, look, the for sale sign yep. is absolutely out there. And, you know, yeah, Nieto was the first piece. I still think James Reimer is, is, is someone that, that's going to move. Um, you know, so, yeah, there, there are a lot of guys. That on that uh, on that Sharks team that are you know in that UFA spot, so I think they're they're going to be busy. They're going to have a chance to help dictate you know uh, some of the uh, uh, advantages for you know for teams that are looking to build. I mean, you know when you, yeah when you look at some of the you know the free agents, you also got Nick Benino, another guy with playoff experience. You have to believe that that he is going to end up on a different team before the deadline. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at, at this Sharks team, and, and look, they they need to rebuild, and they're they're just in utter cap hell. Uh, it's it's really unfortunate. I almost wonder if I had one person suggest to me, like, would it make sense for for San Jose even to try to move out, you know, one of your favorite players, Mario Ferraro? Because by the time this team's any good, you know, really, is it mm. worth keeping Ferraro? Is it, you know, uh, there's a guy that you can collect a lot of assets for. Uh, but I I think. That guy could be the captain of this team one day. That's that's what I was gonna say. I, I kind of see Ferraro as being the next captain of the San Jose Sharks. I, yeah. I kind of see like if you're yeah. going through like here's the thing like when you're going through a rebuild and listen, we all know what's happening with the San Jose Sharks. When you're going through that situation, you kind of need players around that make it fun to come to the rink, especially around times like right now, like late January, early February. The season's a real grind. You know, we've played, you know, 45 games. Uh, it's tough to, to get to the rink. Like, that's for a guy like, you know, outside of what he does on the ice, like outside of, you know, the defenseman that Mario Ferraro is, he's kind of one of those guys that makes it fun to come to the rink. Like, I look at that guy as being, if you're going to do the rebuild, you know, you don't want everyone to be grouchy. It's okay if you have a couple of grumpy hockey players that come to the rink every day and complain about the coffee. You just don't want a full team of that. And I kind of look at a guy like Mario Ferraro and says, as long as Ferraro's on the team, you're not going to have a whole squad of guys that complain that there's not enough stick tape or there's not enough gum on the table or who made this coffee. You know what I mean? No, I agree. I agree. I, you know, it's just something that, that someone did throw it. I do want to throw one thing out. You're, you know, just one thing that happened that I thought was kind of interesting here in the Pacific Division this week is that both the, the Golden Knights and the Kings had back-to-back games. And I thought it was very interesting on how they both approached the goalie situation. Vegas started Aiden Hill against the Rangers and saved Logan Thompson for the Islanders. My thinking is, is that you have Logan, your better goalie going against the weaker team. And the LA Kings kind yeah. of did the same thing with Phoenix Copley and Jonathan Quick. They played Phoenix Copley against Florida, and they played Jonathan Quick yep. against Tampa. And I think that's the way to go on back-to-back games. Play your better go- what you feel is your better goalie against the weaker team, regardless of whether it's on the front end or the back end. More so now, it's a great point, John. The, the more, more so now than ever, um, when you hear the old cliche, oh, you know, these are the games we have to win, that means yeah. so much. Like, you look at that, like, you mentioned the Islanders a couple of seconds ago. How much, when this season is done, and, the, you know, it's not looking great for the Islanders, how much are we going to look back on last week's game against the Ottawa Senators and say, that's mm-hmm. the moment the season ended for the Islanders. Like, if they totally fall out, do you not look at that Ottawa game and say, that was the one they needed to win to end it, to stop it, that negative momentum, that's the one they should have and needed to win, and they didn't. And it's got shaded by Ottawa 2-1, to one, but that's the one. Like, I- I'm with you. Like, the idea of there are teams that you absolutely have to beat, I think you kind of load up with this and give yourself the, the the best chance you can to grab those points. I'm I'm with you 100 percent on that. If I'm if I'm those teams, mm-hmm. I'm doing the exact same thing. Yeah, that that was a really tough loss for for Ottawa. And yeah, I mean, look, it, it's going to get very tricky. I mean, you know, if you're Calgary, I think you're going to probably end up trying to ride Dan Vladar because I think right now in the West, by the way, Jeff, I think it's there's one spot yeah. to fight for between Calgary, Minnesota, and Colorado. Ultimately, I think that's the way it's going to break down. And it's going to be to see how these teams use their, their goalies down the stretch. I can't bet against – if that's the way it ends up, I can't bet against Colorado. How do you see that one ending? Well, I can't either. I, I actually bet both, Col- both Calgary and Minnesota to both miss the playoffs because I think one of them will. And I also bet Buffalo to make it. 
Because I don't think Pittsburgh, I think Pittsburgh and Washington are both flawed. Yeah, I, I do too. The only thing I, I, I want, well, it's a two-edged sword. So one person I talked to last week, I was talking about, you know, the inexperience of the Buffalo Sabres and the same person came back to me and said, yeah, but you know what? They're, they're young. They're going to have energy all the way through the season. So take your pick. Put it this way. Their schedule I want to see them, some fresh blood in the playoffs. This, this absolutely the schedule could hurt them. I, I, I want Buffalo in there because I want this story to have a happy ending and you want to see Buffalo take that next step. And then I'll tell you another one. I'm really curious to see if Kevin yeah. Adams does anything at deadline. Like we we're all applauding yeah. Kevin Adams at having patience and not doing anything reckless and stupid in the off season, not try to hot shot this thing. You know, we saw what Detroit did. We saw what Ottawa did, Buffalo, you know, they brought in the Bushkin, um, you know, they, they signed a new netminder, but nothing, nothing huge. They just let, you know, the progress of young players sort of play itself out. And Thompson took a step and Darlene took a step and Dylan Cousins, like, all right, JJ Paterka and Jack Quinn, like, and it all fits right now. I wonder if it gets a trade deadline, if Kevin Adams maybe massages his philosophy of developing this team here and says, look, I owe these guys something. And then it becomes a matter of what you give up to get that something. Well, I agree with you. Um, Yeah, I agree with you. Totally. But don't don't do anything to to mortgage the future. But I think you owe these players something. If they're still in striking distance, come the deadline, I think you owe it to that room to bring in something, you know, whether like a a Benino-type player, like that type of guy. Mm -hmm. Someone who's been there before. Curious to see... Curious which direction they go in. Uh, JD, always a pleasure, man. You uh, resume the rest of your day. Thanks so much for parking some of your time today with me. Appreciate it, pal. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Have a good one. There he is, Jonathan Davis from NHL Network Radio. Also, the Show Me the Money Hockey Betting Podcast, uh, available at your favorite pod catcher. We're taking a break. We're coming back and talking about the St. Louis Blues. Can they be the team that plays kingmaker come trade deadline time as their playoff chances continue to get squandered? And we'll see them tonight against the Winnipeg Jets. We'll see if this is yet another nail uh, in the coffin of their season. We wonder about Tarasenko. We wonder about O'Reilly. We wonder about Barbashev. We wonder about Mikola. Should there be other names we wonder about as well? Andy Strickland from the Cam and Strick podcast joins me next to comment on that situation. Merrick Show continues. Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on 360 and Sportsnet Now. Back in a moment. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, so I like Andy Strickland a lot. And I've known Andy going back to, geez, like what, 2003, 2004. Um, He is the host of one of the most wildly popular hockey podcasts out there, the Cam and Strick podcast, one that continues uh, to make news on a consistent basis. He is plugged into the St. Louis Blues like few others and he's one of my favorite follows on Twitter. And sometimes he puts something out there and I go, hmm, I wish I was inside the brain of Andy Strickland right now. So I'll do the second best thing and bring him on the radio to talk about some of his tweets. Uh, here he is, the great Andy Strickland, who covers the St. Louis Blues and, of course, one half of the Cam and Strick podcast. Uh, Strick, how are you today, pal? Jeff, I appreciate that. No, everything is great, man. And listen, I don't tweet as much as I probably used to. You know, it's like uh, I try to do the Instagram a little more now. Um, I don't know. Twitter's gotten <laughs> what, so out of what, control, so what? so so crazy. But because yeah. sometimes, it's, you know, listen, sometimes you just put something out there on Twitter and it can catch like wildfire. Uh, so it's it's good. It's a great sure. platform from that standpoint. But it's a little crazy out there, as you know. It's a great it's a great medium for starting fires. I know exactly what trust me. You and I yes. have lived uh, si- similar lives here in that <laughs> in that regard. But th- there is one that intri- that intrigues me here and I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to pro- I'm going to try to get myself in the brain of Andy Strickland here. So the tweet mm-hmm. you put out about not ruling out the Blues maybe re-signing a couple of impending uh free agents. Yeah. Uh and I said to myself, okay, is he's trying to tell me that 
Barbashev and O'Reilly are coming back, or is it Mikola <laughs> and Tarasenko? I'm trying to get in in between the ears here of of Andy Strickland. I mean, listen, I yeah. I, I it wouldn't surprise me if they go back to to try to sign one, two, who knows? But when you put yeah. that one out, did you have players in your in your in your mind? Oh, I do. Um, and first off, you know, and and. And to be clear, I said at least one, if not multiple, free agents to be. And and and, and I don't know if they're going to be able to get it done. Um, and I don't know how urgent they are to get it done, Jeff. But I do know they're going to try. And they're going to put something on the table and not just look to get rid of everybody. I mean, when you have this many free agents, Jeff, and I know everyone gets caught up in the trade deadline and the idea of retooling, in some cases rebuilding the entire roster, you can't just trade everybody. I mean, it, you got to keep some players. Mm-hmm. You know, you may miss, you know, or, or lose, you know, Noel Achari, too. He's another one who's had a pretty good bounce back season in St. Louis. He's been a great fit here. I'm sure there would be, you know, a, a number of people in the organization that would love to hang on to Noel Achari. Um, and you just wonder what he's going to be looking for. But, you know, in the case of the captain, Ryan O'Reilly, we'll start with him. I, I truly believe that um, the Blues will certainly make an offer in an effort to keep him. And I think, you know, you look at O'Reilly and you see the situation, you say, okay, he's been traded before, Jeff. It hasn't always worked yep. out in his favor. He's been in situations where he's been miserable. He's been in situations where he's absolutely loved it. He's in a situation here in St. Louis where he and his wife and his family, they've settled in. They just bought a new house. And, you know, he's won a cup. He's won individual awards. He's made a lot of money. And we don't always factor that in. Not to mention that you know, these guys are smart. They look at it across the board in the NHL, and they say, okay, where is it that I can go? Who needs a player like myself? Oh, by the way, I look at Nazem Kadri last offseason, and he didn't sign until late. He couldn't find a team that was willing to give him what he wanted, and he had no choice but to go to Calgary. Ryan O'Reilly's not going to Calgary. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not happening. Um, and so I think because of his lack of production this season, and now you compound that with his most recent injury and the lack of production. He knows he's not in a situation to command the money that he maybe thought he'd be able to command when he first you know, stepped into this season. And I think he's willing to be a little more realistic in terms of what that number would look like. And I know the Blues value Ryan O'Reilly in terms of what he means to the young players. They've got a number of young players who are going to be coming into the organization, like a Jimmy Snuggerud, for example a Zachary Bull Duke, you've got Jake Neighbors here. You know, they want to have veterans for those guys to learn from and to mentor those guys. Ryan O'Reilly is one of those players you look at who would certainly be, you know, a guy who'd put in the mentor category. So I can't promise anything that it's going to get done, but the Blues aren't just going to let, just trade him without making an effort to keep him. So he's one guy that I truly believe those conversations will get more towards him staying versus him being traded. But if he doesn't want to, you know, or doesn't like what the Blues put on the on the table, then then he'll likely get traded. Yeah. You know, I was um, I I am intrigued by how many players could be moved here at deadline. I don't think, like, I'm with you. I don't think they move all of them. Um, I think we all do wonder about Mikola, and I do wonder about him uh, with teams like the Edmonton Oilers. Um, Achari, uh, that name has been attached to Vegas because of the Bruce Cassidy um, situation. You wonder, like, I think that Joel Hofer plays with the St. Louis Blues as early as next season, and if they can move Thomas Grice, maybe he gets called up and he, and he plays this season. Let me throw a mm-hmm. wild one at you. Like, let's just do, like, the, the totally irresponsible thing here and pretend that no yeah. one is listening. You think there's any chance that that they move someone like Tory Krug? Like, I like Tory um, Krug a lot. Well, and there I are mean, a lot of teams around the NHL that move him. Like, do you think there's any chance? I was thinking about that. Like, is there any chance that Krug goes? Oh, well, there's always a chance. And believe me, Jeff, in my opinion, if they found a team that was willing to take on his contract, what does he have? Four years left at six and a half? Yeah. Uh, they would happily move Krug, him. But it's Tory Krug. <laughs> it's Tory Krug. I know, and he's really got <laughs> he, he's got six straight seasons of thirty plus assists. Um, you know, he leaves a little more to be desired defensively. Jeff, he has not had a great season. He hasn't had a great season mm-hmm. defensively. So you got to slot him appropriately. His salary suggests that he should be a top four guy. Um, 
his play suggests that maybe he's more of a third-pairing uh, guy who can quarterback a power play at the highest level. This guy is really, really good on the power play. He's a great puck mover. Um, you know, he he has you know suffered some injuries, so he's been in and out of the lineup. He hasn't played a full season since he's been here. But you know, I'm with you. I like I like Tory Krug a lot in terms of what he brings to the table, in terms of what he's good at. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I just don't see a team being willing to make that type of deal to bring him on when you consider the term that's left and the money that he's making. I could be wrong, and I think if there was a team that's interested, I think the Blues would certainly be all ears if that was the case. Let me um, let me ask you about relationships with players and Craig Berube, and there there are two that come to mind. And like, look, last week Berube came out; it was, you know, quite critical about you know Colton Pareko's game. And mind you, mm-hmm. like he's not mm-hmm. wrong. Like Colton Pareko hasn't had uh, a wonderful season. Like every time I watch Blues, Pareko just kind of seems that little bit off. It's like mm, that doesn't look like Colton Pareko. Yeah. Um, yeah. There have been dust ups previous, and I would I, I, the, the rumors are all out there about you know something happening recently between Vlad Tarasenko and and Craig Berube as well. How would you describe the relationships here, Vlad Tarasenko and the coach, Colton Pareko and the coach at this point? Well, two different personalities, completely different personalities. Pareko is about as easy as a person yeah. to get along with as you can find. And Jeff, you know this. You've been around long enough, uh, long enough to know this that when a coach calls out a player publicly those conversations have already taken place behind closed doors several times. 100%. And for, for, for Craig Berube just to come out and call him out publicly, it just doesn't happen just like that. Berube has a lot of respect for Colton Pareko. Pareko was a huge part of the Blues winning the Stanley Cup, playing with Jay Bomeister and playing big minutes. He's always been a matchup guy. And listen, he's been a plus player for the majority of his career. I think he's plus 50 in his career. You look at now this season, he hasn't had the year that he expected for himself and what the team expected from him. So I agree with Craig Berube. You know, he was coming off a game where he got benched late in the game. I think he was a dash four against the Buffalo Sabres. They need him to be what he's been throughout the majority of his career. And he's been off this year, specifically defensively. He hasn't been as assertive offensively. You know, he's not a guy that's going to be the most dynamic player in the offensive end, but he's got great legs and great feet. He can skate. He can transport the puck from his own end of the ice all the way to the other end. It's not always as pretty as when Nick Letty does it, for example, because he's, you know, obviously like a figure skater out there in terms of the way that he gets around the ice. Um, You know, but, you know, Pareko has more to give than what we've seen this season. And so maybe a little motivation from the head coach and being called out publicly Will, will lead to him improving his play because they need him to be better. They, they, they can't, you know, you can't have guys that are playing, you know, 22, 23, 24 minutes a night, um, you know, consistently making the same type of mistakes that are leading to the goals that the Blues are getting scored on. I mean, easy goals against uh, Jeff. I mean, the inability to defend mm-hmm. in and around the paint has cost this team time after time after time again. But it's not only on the defensemen, it's on the forwards, too. They give up goals off the rush. We saw that the last couple of games. And you're talking about Ruby and Tarasenko going at it. Well, that, that's an example where, you know, I think it was the game against uh, Buffalo. Uh, or maybe it wasn't the Buffalo. I'm trying to remember which game it was. Maybe the Arizona game. Um, but there was a goal against scored early, and, and, and Tarasenko had an opportunity to, to play the situation better in his own end of the ice, and he didn't do it. And so, yeah, Craig Berube is very honest and he's blunt with his players. And he's not afraid to get into the face of anybody on that bench. He treats every player the same from Tarasenko on down. You make a mistake, you're going to hear about it. That's what I like about Craig Berube. He doesn't care who you are. You don't play well, you're going to know about it. And if you do play well, you're going to know about it then, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got about a hot 30 seconds to do this, and it's not enough time yeah. because it's Jordan Bennington, but here we go. I yeah. mean, there's a yeah. there's a laundry list of players that he's engaged with, and now you can add a couple of more uh, from the weekend, specifically Logan O'Connor, Curtis McDermott was in there. Like, this is classic Jordan Bennington. Um, I know the St. Louis Blues have said, you know, don't worry about the antics, just worry about stopping pucks, to which Jordan Bennington has obviously said, yeah, I'm not interested in that. I'm still going to stop pucks, but I still want the extracurriculars. How is he with this organization right now? Like after the Zucker incident, it was like, look, just stop pucks. After the Stahl incident, look, just stop pucks. That ain't changing. What's his standing Mm -hmm. right now with the team? 
Well, I think every situation takes on a life of its own. I don't think they have an issue whatsoever with what took place the other day against Colorado because it actually sparked the team. They played better after Mm -hmm. that. You know, hockey needs to be played with emotion. You know, for decades and decades and decades, the Blues have always had players that played an emotional style of hockey, and they played in your face, and they were involved after the whistle, and they stuck up for one another. And, you know, that that's missing. That identity has, has, has left this hockey team. It's not there. And, you know, you have one or two guys that are willing to do that. But, you know, sometimes, you know, listen, we used to applaud guys like the Ron Hextalls and the Billy Smiths, and even earlier in his career, Jonathan Quick would snap every once in a while, Dominic Hoschick, and these guys always got rewarded for it. You know, what Jordan Bennington does is genuine. This is who he is. He's not trying to be somebody that he's not. Sometimes it looks goofy, Jeffy, and it's not probably warranted, and it, and it doesn't have the same impact, and there is no effect. Yeah. The other day against the Colorado Avalanche, I do think it impacted the game, and it led to the Blues you know, playing better in that third period. Hey, the Blues have, have done exactly what you don't expect all season long. They lose games when you expect them to win, like at home against uh, Chicago or on the road against uh, Arizona, and they, they win games when you think they're going to lose. I wouldn't be surprised if they play well tonight in Winnipeg and carry over the play versus, you know, of what we saw the other day uh, in the third period mm-hmm. uh, against Colorado, and that was after Jordan Bennington's antics, which I think sparked the team. And real quick, Jeff, because I know you're short on time, in my tweet, I didn't get to yep. it, but in addition, yeah, I am talking about Ivan Barbashev. I think the Blues will also make an effort to sign him if they can. This guy's 27 years of age. Mm. They know what he brings to the table. It's a different situation. Um, but if they can't, these conversations are already taking place where, hey, we'd love to get some assets for you, but then re-sign you in the summer if we can. And, and this, this falls in the O'Reilly category as well. They'd love to re-sign these guys. There's always risk involved if you want to re-sign them because there's no guarantee that you're sure. going to get them back. But in the case of Ivan Barbashev, who's 27, who plays his type of style, I, I think he would take a four times four uh, contract. To me, that's not overpaying for a guy. I know he careered it last season, 26 and 60. You can't expect that from him year after year, but he's capable of having the odd year where he scores 20. And if he's not yeah. scoring, he can still find ways to impact the game, as you know. Teams are interested, and we're always interested in you. Andy, thanks as always, pal. You be well. Thanks for the update. Okay, always great to talk to you, Jeff. Appreciate it as always. The great Andy Strickland from the Cam and Strick podcast, Blues Ringside Reporter. He is plugged into St. Louis. Thanks to Andy. Thanks to Jonathan Davis. Thanks to Corey Lavalette. Thanks to Elliot Friedman. And thanks to you alongside General Nick and Lance Kennedy and Matt Marchese. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Back tomorrow.